0: Welcome, everybody, to the Tech Meme Ride Home Experience, a bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Messina, product lead at Republic, and my host is the regular voice of the daily Tech Meme Ride Home Podcast, Brian McCullough. Hello, hello, everybody. And today, our guest is someone very special, uh, Chris Dixon, who leads crypto investing at Andreessen Norowitz, someone I've known for a long time. He may also be one of the biggest investors in the crypto space in the world, and certainly may be the number one evangelist for Web 3.0, or rather Web 3. Hello, Chris.
1: Hey, well, hey, thanks for having me, Brian. As you know, we did a podcast a couple of years ago about your book, which I still send to uh, to, to new teammates when they join our team. is one of the kind of canonical books.
2: So, can I? It's, it's always a, bunch a pleasure. Of people, a bunch of people got in touch with me because you guys reposted that recently, and they pointed out that in that conversation, you and I, you and I say, you know, there's not. There's sort of it's boring right now in tech. There's not a lot of innovation. That was 2018,
1: so here we are. Here we are. That's one. It's always it's always something new.
2: So, uh, Chris Dixon, mm-hmm. uh, we're here to talk about mm-hmm. that um, state of crypto report that y'all yeah. put out. Uh, was it this week or last week? Um, but yeah, let me start off with good. just a couple a couple things that surprised mm-hmm. me or that I wasn't sure. expecting. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times you kept bringing it back to the creator economy, which was you know, the, the mm-hmm. buzzword on every pitch deck before Web3 mm-hmm. supplanted it. But I get the idea yeah. that you believe the best way to get to the promise of the creator economy is through Web3. Why do you think yeah. that is?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, so we had a couple slides in there, and specifically one which showed the payouts of various kind of creator um, networks, including Web2 networks like YouTube and Twitter and Facebook. And then kind of the new emerging categories in Web3, like NFTs. Um, and I think one of the striking things is that, I, I forgot the exact numbers, but NFTs, you know, it's smaller than the payouts to Web2, but not by that much. And this, you know, for this early in the movement, it's, it's something on the order of like $5 billion versus $20 billion. And I think that's partly a, and what that means is that's money paid to creative people creating things on the Internet, right? And that, that's money going directly to them. That's, that's sort of the, the net Number that goes to those to those folks' pockets. Um, I think it speaks to two things. Like one is, and I can talk more about this in a minute. I think that a lot of the innovations in Web three around things like NFTs provide powerful new business models for creative people. Number one, and number two, going back to Web two, Web two did a lot of wonderful things. YouTube, Facebook, it sort of democratized publishing and you know gave internet services that are mostly free to billions of people. But one thing it did very poorly was share that share that those that money with with the people who really kind of built the networks I mean if you look at networks like YouTube people don't go to watch YouTube they go to watch a specific youtuber right people go to Facebook to hear from you know people they like people go to Twitter to follow other people kind of remarkably you know networks like Facebook and Twitter you know they, their business model is advertising they make literally hundreds of billions of dollars a year in advertising and they share absolutely like zero with their with with the people that do that actually create all the content it's an amazing kind of trick they pulled off but i think it's a very brittle system and what we're trying to do you know through our investing and partnering with entrepreneurs is build out a new set of systems which i think kind of encompass a lot of the great things about web 2 but also build systems that that share much more of that uh, proceeds and kind of the economic upside with the people that really build those networks. So that's like one of the key innovations around Web3.
2: But so, you know, my pushback on that would be, well, what's to stop once? It's almost like these are low teaser rates to get people onboarded into this new system.
1: No, but that's, yes, I, I hear you. But I think a very important idea, and this is kind of going back to sort of the history of the Internet, which you know, Brian, quite well. In the first year of the internet, which I kind of think is 1990 to 2005-ish, kind of the governing protocols were governing systems were protocols, right? It was HTTP, which is the protocol for the web, SMTP, the protocol for email, right? And so you built, as Larry and Sergey building a search engine, you were building on top of the web, right? You weren't sharing money with the web. There was no company doing that, right? Um, And 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 that was very important because there was a there is a network effect in email, and there's a network effect in in the web, but that network effect was owned by the community. There was no one company You could leave. Very important feature of Web1 right? is I could go and like host my email with an email hosting provider or host my website with you know a website provider like Rackspace or something. And because the network effect did not accrue to Rackspace, it accrued to the protocol, I could switch. I could switch from if Rackspace raised the rates too much, I could leave and go to another web hosting provider and take my network with me. Right in the case of the web, all the inbound links and other kinds of things I'd accrue. In the case of email, all of like my email, like newsletter lists and everything else, I could take that with, me, right? And that fundamentally put constraints on the economics of the businesses. What happened in Web Two is the network effect accrued to those companies. On Twitter, you know, I have whatever 800,000 followers or something. If I leave Twitter, I lose that. The network effect accrues to the company, and that gives them disproportionate power. So a very, very important feature of Web Three is the network effect accrues to the community to protocols and not to companies. So people often critics will often cite companies like OpenSea, which we're investors in and say, Oh, look, it's the same thing. Again, OpenSea charges two and a half percent and they're, and they have some, some real competitors who are putting pressure on that two and a half percent because you can switch because the NFT, they don't control, they don't hold the NFTs. The people that go to OpenSea and are used to kind of the web two model and they see these NFTs on there. They think it's, they think it's just like controlled by that website the way it is in a video game and a web two product is not. It's, those NFTs are held on a blockchain, on the Ethereum blockchain, in most cases, and therefore the network effect doesn't accrue to them. And so the switching, so people can switch, and because people can switch, that puts fundamental limits on the economics they can charge. This is the key, the key concept when you're building internet networks: is where does the where do the network effects accrue? If they accrue to a protocol, then you have economics that favor the network participants, quote unquote decentral decentralized networks, decentralized power, decentralized economics. If the network effects accrue to a company, this is how you end up with a situation of web two where you have five companies that control everything and have essentially monopolistic power. And that was the mistake we made in web two was allowing that network effect to crew to those companies and giving them that much power. And you know it may be that it's too late. Some people a lot of it's kind of cynics and there are a lot of sort of cynics out there around around web three. Um, would say that it 's too late, I would argue it 's not too late we 're still early in the in the kind of development of the internet and it's a it's a fight worth having it's worth it 's worth going back and trying to build better systems that more that that share the economics and the control of the networks in in a in a much broader way
0: so okay, Chris, this is exactly the point that I really wanted to talk yeah. to you about sure. um, given you know my background and my experience. You know, 15 uh-huh. years ago this year, I started working on something called uh, the Diesel Project, which was uh, mm-hmm. the distributed social networking uh, effort mm-hmm. to try to decentralize the social web. And mm-hmm. as I've he- heard you talk about these protocols, mm-hmm. you know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of the concepts that we were working on back then that have kind of come back into the fore. And so what I'm yep. wondering about, you know, when you talk about the the early days of the web and what uh-huh. you know, Larry and Sergey were able to do with Google, they were yep. building on a foundation that was funded Mm -hmm. by taxpayers, that was built Mm -hmm. by the military and academics, and that was sort of part of an open marketplace, or I shouldn't say marketplace, an open resource that anybody could build upon. So my question to you is really about incentives Mm -hmm. and aligning incentives for the adoption of interoperable protocols Mm -hmm. that create a Mm -hmm. new type of maybe distributed or decentralized competition Mm -hmm. um, environment. Why do you think it'll work this time when it didn't work last time
1: you're saying it didn't work last time is in like the 2003 to and nine i'm year saying out, like
0: web 2 like essentially yeah like was, of, by the way chris i mean i remember yeah.
1: meeting you there i was there i was yeah i was just you know i was working on that stuff and i was I always inside of like rss and the open stuff and so i remember and I'll Th- tell that's you, why i want so, to have
0: this conversation it's no, like no, no, how do no, 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 we go way, sideways I'm just saying like in the
1: sense of like i you know just just for the record i've been just you know as, as you have um working on this and blogging about it and everything else for 15 plus years as well even before blockchains and everything else and it's always been a an issue I'm passionate about. Specifically with respect to Web2, I think, you know, like RSS is a big, is a big interesting question, right? RSS to me right. was kind of the foundational protocol that was most likely to challenge things like Facebook and Twitter, right? Um, and so, like, I, I think a really, really important question um, to ask is why did RSS essentially lose? I mean, it still exists, but it's not, you know, used by yeah. 3 billion people the way that people like you and I wished it was 15 years ago. Why did that happen? I would argue it happened around, if you go back and I'd look at the data, it's around 2008, right? You know, you had a couple of things happen. You had the Facebooks of the world kind of, you know, hit hundreds of millions of users. You had the iPhone come out, you know, which just sort of accelerated everything. And then, you know, mobile apps and all of that kind of stuff. And um, you go back to 2008, and you, you remember the experience to set up an RSS feed. You had to have a domain name, first of all, right? And you look at domain name, I have a domain name, I'm sure you both do. I've had mine forever,
0: right? I I mean, this is this listen. that was the original decentralized social web. That was no, the concept right. of these
1: name, but like I had a domain name, and, 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 and you know, it was so hard to use. Cost, you have to buy it, you have to yep. pay eight bucks a year, yep. you have to have be semi technical to go set it up. And then what happened is you remember, Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook came along and offered the same functionality, but you just type C Dixon into a box, and voila, you've got a feed, and that user experience won, right? And so, then the question is, why? why couldn't RSS offer a similar user experience? And like, one, one thing you hear commonly is oh just open protocols you know it's harder but that's mm-hmm. that's that's not really the case like you the way open protocols work is you you have a kind of a partnership between private and public like smtp is still a very popular protocol smtp is not the front end gmail is for you know whatever well, i mean typically better, you, you accept end.
0: some yeah. limitation of freedom yep. for a yep. better experience Or you accept more complexity to have more choice. So, for example, when we were designing OpenID, you could use whatever identity provider that you wanted, you could put in a URL. Mm -hmm. And eventually we learned that that was too complex and that users would get confused and they didn't know what to do. So we had to give them a list of buttons. And now you look at wallet connect and it's the same thing.
1: I think the fundamental missing thing in 2008, from the side of the open, the open side was missing. They were fighting with one arm tied behind their back. And specifically, Mm -hmm. I think the missing piece was there was no way to store state data in a, in a community-owned way. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been very nice, architecturally, if you're building one of those systems, to be able to offer feature parity. H- how would you have offered feature parity if, if you're an RSS reader with Twitter? You would need to, somewhere to store that I'm C. Dixon without asking somebody to go set up a domain and pay $8 a year, which is not a consumer experience, right? And there was nowhere to store it. That, that's exactly what Ethereum is. Ethereum is a community-owned database. Yeah, so it's the ledger. The ledger is what makes it different I, I this think time. you were missing community-owned state. That, you go back, if you, take, if you take a serious look at this, which I've done and I yep. would encourage others to do, and you imagine yourself as a product designer in 2008 trying to make RSS feature parity with Twitter and Facebook, the thing you are missing is shared community on state. I will defend that. <laughs> can, you, can you
0: unpack what that means? Because it's a little bit abstract. Because one of the things that we did work on was something up. called Activity Streams, and that was designed to actually take RSS to the next level and not just specify how blog posts. But it was could be sta- like, RSS, like RSS
1: is stateless. It's stateless. I mean, you can keep state in the mm. nodes, but the protocol itself is
0: stateless. Okay, right? so you're talking state yeah, specifically. Okay, got it.
1: Yeah, storing stuff. Like, how, how do you store the like RSS? a like? How do you how do you store my file, file graph? Actually, I wrote a long couple of blog posts about this. There was this interesting Wired article in two thousand eight where they literally tried to do this. And they're like, "The thing we're missing is a place to store your graph and your right. name and your username." Like that's what you couldn't do back then. And 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 asking regular users to go I remember friend of a friend and open an yep. open idea. I remember all these things, and I was you yep. know supporters of them. Um, but all of those things, they could never, I believe, never get the feature parity. And so I believe, like what Ethereum is, for example, a blockchain like Ethereum. One of the very important things about it is it's a it's a way for you to shift to, to store state in a way it's that can be owned shared by, computing a database. Owned by a community. Yeah, that's literally right. what it is. I mean, yep. for, for some reason it's become like politicized and you know, all these heated debates. Anyone well, you
0: bring money into the mix will, and yeah. it confuses things.
1: Well, yes, the, the, there's money in there and there's other things and there's a whole, you know, it's somehow gotten mixed in with politics and everything else. But fundamentally that's what Ethereum is a place to have community owned or user owned, depending on how you architect its state and a way to compute on that state. It's a, it's a community owned computer. Um, yeah. And that unlocks new capabilities, including, I think, I think, very important capabilities for the sides who want to make these systems open um, and not have them be controlled by companies. I mean, that's essentially where – you think about the, the thing that these Web2 companies did. They basically stepped in. They said, you can't short store state. We'll do it for you. Seemed like a nice thing at first. Next thing you know, they're, like, taking all the money and all the control, right? I mean, it was – I think it was very much of a bait and switch. And by the way, sometimes we criticize, Chris, weren't you part of that? Yeah, I was part of it. I didn't think it would end this way. <laughs> you know, like, I don't think anyone – Any of my friends who were involved in that expected it to end with, like, four big companies that control the whole Internet. Like, this is not what we were signed up for, not what we want. It's not good for anybody except for those four companies. It's bad for creativity. It's bad for innovation. It's bad for entrepreneurship. It's bad for society. Like, this is not what I signed up for and i don't think it's too late to fix it and i think web3 is the best chance to fix it what what are like
0: i mean we're still using the concept of a company to pursue yeah. these goals and outcomes right so you've you've deployed a, an enormous amount of capital to that end right and so what is the incentive what is the motivation for the companies that are actually building web3 yeah. to not pursue the same outcomes and goals that the most yeah. successful companies that exist today are or have well, already succeeded yeah. at
1: so yeah, you're right that in many cases, the the, the, thing, the projects we invest in will start as companies. The goal is to have the company go away. So if you look at something like Ethereum, there is no Ethereum company. There's a foundation that supports it right. in the same way there's a Linux foundation. Exactly. But there's no Ethereum company, right? There are tokens, Ether, Ether, the tokens, and those are owned by various people, including some of the people, you know, I presume, I don't know the details, but I presume some of the people that originally, like Vitalik, who worked on it, have tokens, you know, commensurate with their contribution. Many other people, you know, bought them early on, earned them early on, et cetera. So it's essentially just sort of the distribution of tokens is kind of the effect of ownership. And there is no company, it's just a foundation. And I think that's the right way to do it. I mean, same with Bitcoin, right? There is no, you know, there are various foundations and things, but there's no Bitcoin company. I think that's the, the, to me, that's the goal of all of the things we invest, most of the things we invest in, I should say. Um, Some things like Coinbase, you know, that was an investment of ours, that, that will likely remain a company. But the kind of pure things that we're mostly investing in are things where they start off as a company and then hopefully over time the company goes away and it just becomes this kind of decentralized protocol. owned by. Is that companies. an explicit
0: like that. or an implicit assumption or agreement that you have with the founders?
1: Well, it's, I mean, I, I there's certainly something I, we don't control the companies. Um, just so you know, I mean, we invest, we right, have but, but but economic like, rights. I guess like what, what like I'm, I'm trying to like think I'm, through I'm with I'm you. I'm extremely explicit about it. And I think most people, uh-huh. we invest in agree with it and we build terms in, to, to, you know, expecting that. So in our term sheets, there's a standard clause, which says at some point, if you dissolve the company and, you know, you have tokens instead, we get some portion of tokens commensurate with our investment. So we expect it, we plan on it, you know, people can Entrepreneurs control the company, and they
0: can. It I think the, the, the hard thing, though, like, is yeah. like one aligning incentives and aligning context, because you have someone yeah. like Jack Dorsey, right, who is yeah. previously CEO of Twitter and, and spun up yeah. uh, Blue Sky, and he's yeah. now saying that Twitter should be a protocol, and yet there are too many vested interests, quite literally, yeah, especially in this moment, who Twitter. want I mean, to persist, probably, you know, the company. So,
1: yeah, I mean, look, yeah. Look, look at Twitter's cap table. It's Fidelity and like a bunch of these right. like giant money management firms at this point. I don't think they're going to switch tokens anytime soon, so it just may be too late, frankly. I mean, that'd be awesome. If,
0: well, if I mean, like, happen, so will know. Web3 companies somehow avoid that fate and having the same hooks in them?
1: I hope so. You know, and like, look, <laughs> okay. I mean, I mean like, look, Jack Dorsey says, you know, A16Z owns Web3. I mean, if you actually look at it, and I think we're going to put out, we're going to try to put out a report. We have to do it in a way that, you know, uh, that honors all our confidentiality agreements with our companies and things. But essentially, our average ownership of tokens at this point is is certainly, and the, the new things we invest in, certainly sub 5%, um, which is very, very, you know, historically mentioned capital is back in the, well, back 30 years ago, you know, have the majority of control of companies in some cases, you know, maybe 10 years ago, 20% in crypto, I think the norm is like 3% or something. And in fact, if you look at generally the token distribution of these companies, at least 50, the norm is 50% at least goes to the community and and is for free based on their their um, contributions to the network. So, for example, imagine a, you know, web3 version of and this is something we've actually been actively investing in, Twitter, discourse, etc. um and imagine where users earn tokens for their you know, for building software that, that makes the, for building client software, other kinds of software that makes the network better, for doing various content contributions. And the basic assumption, I would say actually it's probably 60% these days, 50 to 60%, somewhere between 50 to 60% of the tokens, and this is explicit in our in our investments, will go to the community hmm. free of charge, airdrops based yep. on earning things. Now, you know, I think what's, what's useful about that is two things. Like one is, um, the hardest thing, if, you, if you're used to building networks, is getting over what's called the chicken and egg problem,
0: right? Well, so the cold start problem, which the cold start problem three I, I don't useful. think has been totally solved, but yeah,
1: continue. It's not totally solved. It's not so for sure, but financial, but you know, tokens and financial yeah, token's can be a very useful tool to getting over that chicken and egg problem. Now, you know, critics will say, oh, isn't that like a Ponzi scheme? No, it's, not a Ponzi, it's a Ponzi scheme if there's not an end state that's an actual useful network, and the things we invest in, in every case – we believe there's an end state where it's a useful network. In the end, you have a decentralized Twitter and people are sharing content and earning money and doing all sorts of interesting things. You use financial incentives to try to get over that cold star problem. Yeah. But the financial incentives over time go away. And there's all of these things have a diminishing kind of issuance curve for the financial incentives. And that's the norm. I mean, these are like in our term sheets, these are, these are all norms in the industry. Like, you know, look, there'll always be cases where people deviate off of it and things like that. But this is just sort of generally the, the norm. And, And I think, you know, I think as long as we kind of keep keep these kind of structures baked in, I think there's a lot of safeguards around having it kind of deteriorate the way that Web 2 did.
2: Love, love, love Yahoo Finance. Use it every day to research companies we talk about on the show. Heck, I used it constantly when I was writing the book to look at the historical performance of dot-com companies, but when I'm working on my own portfolio, it's also the autocomplete in my browser, yahoofinance.com. They are the number one finance destination. Producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. And when you use it for your personal investing tool, like I do, you can securely link your brokerage accounts to it for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all, you've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses, Yahoo Finance. Think of it as an observability dashboard, but for your finances. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Yeah, Um, Brian? Yeah, yeah. I I wanted to wedge in a couple more things that surprised me from from the report. Um, The the biggest one was that 49% of crypto wallet activity is related to gaming, and 20% of NFT sales last year were gaming-related assets. So given that a sixteen Z just raised a big fund focusing mm-hmm. on gaming investments. Clearly, you see these yeah. areas overlapping.
1: I do, yeah, for sure. And we, and, and so, for example, we, uh, we, yes, and so we've probably done in our crypto activities. I Many mean, of these are not; these games haven't launched yet. Probably fifteen investments related to gaming, and in some cases, we, you know, have done those partnering with our games fund um, for sure. I think, like, I think games, like, games are not the ultimate goal here at least for me. I mean, for me, we want to kind of restructure the internet and social networks and everything else, but I think games can be a very important kind of tip of the sphere. Um, I think it's very likely that, you know, you like a hit game. We have one in our portfolio called Axie Infinity, you know, which is one, I think it's one of four discords that hit the discord limit of whatever it is, 800,000 users. And they did that without even being in the app, they're not app store. Um, and just, you know, it became really, really popular kind of just organically. Um, and it, it was, it, you know, kind of an early case. I think there'll be many more. But one of the things we're seeing now is the founders who are working on kind of Web3 gaming are coming from traditional gaming world. So they're coming out of companies like Riot and Blizzard and, you know, kind of these top end game companies. They have like proper, they built, you know, or worked on in some way, like, you know, hit games before. And they're excited by the idea where you can, you can now build economies in these games where instead of all the money, going to Epic, who makes Fortnite. So Fortnite has a $3 billion, something on that order, uh, virtual goods economy, but all the money ends up going to, to Epic. What the Web3 model is, is you now use NFTs, which are basically v- virtual goods owned by users instead of owned by the company. You create new kinds of economies. The, the the kind of sponsoring entity, Axie Infinity, et cetera, takes a tax rate. I think Axie's tax rate is 5%, but they don't take 100%. And there's this very cool kind of peer-to-peer economy that can develop. So you, I don't know if you're familiar with games like EVE Online. There's, there's a long tradition of, of kind of virtual worlds where there's economies, but outside of a few exceptions like Counter-Strike, generally the, the kind of goods are locked in the system. And people can build up things, but they ultimately can't kind of take the, take their goods out with them. Um, and so the difference here is you, you would sort of remove that constraint and let people actually kind of make real money Um now it's, it's got to be a very delicate balance to not make it just kind of a mercenary community that's only trying to make money. You need to make sure it's a fun game too, um, and you balance those two things. You know, Roblox is actually an example where it's not an NFT-based thing, but they do a pretty good job of that. So anyone can create a Roblox kind of mini game and um, earn money from it, and so that, that's kind of a neat model.
2: Um, before before we let you yeah. go, I, yeah. I have to I have to ask you about you know sure. some of the current turmoil in in crypto spaces. Yeah. Um, it, it's sort of um, axiomatic that in in the past when there have been crypto winters, um, yeah. that's when a lot of the mm-hmm. development energy for the next big thing was was beginning to happen mm-hmm. during mm-hmm. those winters. I'm curious if you're seeing now. I've seen people anecdotally say that developer activity in crypto has never been higher. What are you seeing in terms yeah. of projects starting and people interested in the space?
1: We have a slide in the deck that shows the, the data that we collected from GitHub, but shows it going up higher. I will tell you this, which is I have a bunch of friends in Silicon Valley, sort of tech people who are professional investors who have no interest in Web3. They're just sort of generalist tech people. And I'll tell you also anecdotally from our firm, you know, we have a, we have a lot of vent- big venture practices that don't do crypto. I think I would say it's more than 50% of all tech, early stage tech startups today throughout the industry are doing Web3. And I hear this again and again from investors. So, And so that, what that means is not just developers, but like really, really strong product people. I mean, we just funded in the last six months, I would say some of the best teams out of some of the best Web2 companies. They're coming out in droves. Look, I mean, do you want to... You're like a smart AI person. You're a smart product manager. Do you know what, you know, what do you actually do with Google today? Like, there's probably like a hundred people doing actual R&D. And as far as I can tell, none of that's shit. I mean, what's Google hasn't shipped a single novel project in over a decade. And the rest of the people you're working on, like, you know, whatever, like some blue, blue bar on the corner of some advertising dashboard. And it's just not fun. We hear it again and again. They come out and they're like these, these, these really smart engineers, product managers, like, this is boring. I'm like, you know, I'm doing, I'm fixing some little piece of the death, death star over here. I want to go join like this, this exciting new, you know, kind of swashbuckling movement. And so there's just a massive drove of people coming out and, you know, we're, our job is to kind of partner with them and, and fund them. Um, and yeah, no, for sure. It's um, the, the kind of the number of, it's just night and day, the kind of level of entrepreneurs, product managers, Engineers, technologists today versus any other time in crypto. I've been in crypto for 10 years. So, um, you know, this stuff's going to take some time. Products need to be built um, and and launched and marketed. um, But but I'm very excited. And I I think a lot of that, you know, we tried in that report to be balanced. That data was very carefully scrubbed. Um, You know, we have a data science team, but I think there's a lot of really positive signs. You know, like it's not there yet. There's a lot of work to do, but, you know, I'm, I'm very excited.
0: I think one of the things that we're, you know, Brian and I being both, you know, historians and also participants in some of the history um, is again, to try to think towards the future. About what do we miss? What do we get wrong? What what was not included yeah. in the way that we approach things? You know, back in you know, sort of the early days of Web two, um, that we want to try to yeah. you know you know fix or address just now. Yeah. One of the big things that I guess I yeah. want to ask you about. You've mm-hmm. got all these all these amazing talented people coming into mm-hmm. Web three projects and startups, and I see it too. You know, a lot of my friends mm-hmm. are, are working in the space, mm-hmm. but it, it seems like we're still going to be possibly repeating a lot of the negative, um, I don't know, patterns. That have led Mm -hmm. us you know in some ways to where we are now and in some ways i guess my question is about uh, participation governance and we have this pattern of DAOs, but i i don't i haven't seen as many of them actually kind of working functionally at scale over a long period of time so we're trying to do many many things at the same time which creates a complex nest of stuff um and i guess what i'm wondering is like what does the startup environment look like in i know this is going to be very hard to uh, you know think about but in 10 to 15 years uh, if yeah. we're only changing technology, if the only change is the ledger, without also changing governance and participation and how we think about, you know, the way in which we are quite yeah. exclusive in designing a lot of the Web2 platforms.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great question. So, like, governance is a very important question. And and by the way, like, I talked more about economics so far, but I mean, one of the key ideas with these kind of web three networks is that. They're both, you know, you change, you sort of decentralize both the economics and also the governance. Yep. I think the most sophisticated DAOs right now are probably um, things like DeFi, sorry, um, and DeFi like MakerDAO. Yep. For those who don't know it, like that's a very interesting, I mean, you know, you can, there's sort of two sides to MakerDAO. There's the financial, it's a stable coin and financial sort of thing. Um, but then there's the other side, which is sort of the governance of it. And it's truly kind of, I think it's truly decentralized. It's got this very interesting governance model. I think it's worked, you know, it's worked pretty well. Um, Uniswap Compound Ave also are some pretty interesting DAOs. I mean, sort of. I think DeFi kind of pioneered a lot of this stuff. I think there's a lot. You're right. There's a lot of people experimenting. Um, there's a lot of missing tooling. There's there's missing concepts. You know, that there's sort of two ways. This is the whole. This just I agree with you. That generally, kind of the DAO space is early. I think most people in tech probably only really started thinking about DAOs in the last 12 months. <laughs> um, it was sort of this really kind of niche, you know, kind of crypto thing before that. So it's still early. I think, look, I mean, you can look at that two ways. It can be, it's early, you know, there's a lot to do, uh, you know, they don't have product market fit yet. That's sort of the, the negative way to look at it. The positive way to look at it is, come join us. This is an amazing time to help build these things, to help shape it. And look, you're right, like, this stuff can go off the rails, too. I think one thing I would love to see, like right now, it's sort of this, we have these critics, but they're really outside of the crypto community, And, and frankly, like, it's just, they just don't know basic stuff like the sort of these kind of loud web three. I mean, I just, it's frustrating to me because they don't even do kind of basic research. And so it's funny to see a lot
0: of the same conversations kind of happening over again that happened 10 years ago. Yeah.
1: So I would love better critics. I would love some of those folks. Maybe maybe it's not them. maybe it's a new, a new set of people, but I would love to have people in the space who are kind of more critical and more product focused. sounds like the kind of questions you're asking are great questions, you know, um, Make, how do we make sure that DAOs don't fall down some kind of trap the way that the Web2 companies did? How do we make sure it doesn't turn into some chaotic, awful thing? You know, how do we think through, like, what does decentralized content moderation look like? What does decentralized governance look like? These are great questions, and it would be great to have more people coming in and discussing it as, instead of just sort of you know writing off the whole thing. Right? So are you, you are you like, investing in yeah.
0: companies that are working on those problems? Because clearly, both content moderation, you know, yes, pro social engagement sure. we just, is super We've done important. a whole
1: bunch. A bunch mm-hmm. of it isn't announced yet. but We've done a bunch of um, should be soon. So it's not my place to announce it. But uh, but sure. a bunch of sort of social stuff. Where, yeah, for sure. And there's been a lot of really interesting kind of deep thinking around content moderation and what that looks like in a way that you know, like I mean, you, nobody, you know, everyone wants a system where I, I think you know where there's where there's you know, rules that keep people safe and follow mm. laws and all the other kind of things you, you want to do in a good system, but also do it in a transparent way, right? I don't think the current way – my biggest issue with the current way it's done is it's opaque. Um, mm. and, and just – and that and – that, you know, that, what that does, I think, is it, is it really hurts. I mean you see what's going on on Twitter these days and just the anger on all sides.
0: And it's opaque, but it's also it very hard, is, right? And I think this yeah. is one of the, the core things that I've been wondering about, right? Like, let's say yeah. Elon, you know, does complete the acquisition yeah. and then in theory somehow open sources the algorithm. It seems to me that there's not enough education that's occurring to allow people to actually inspect and understand the yeah. information that, that would be given to them. Like, I, I feel like the algorithm would be out there. I think, look, I think we kind of
1: GitHub. solved it with email. I mean, like spam uh, not perfect, I would say, but I think it's decent. And that was solved hmm. in a centralized manner. Um, you know, I, I think the, with the, I mean, we have systems like the web and email that exist that are not controlled by, you know, a company, um, a single company doing content moderation. And I think things are, I would argue under reasonably good control. It's not perfect. You know, there's stuff goes in your spam filter. You get bad stuff. I'm sure there's yeah, going to say that's the adversarial content. problem,
0: right? Like when you're in yeah, an attention I mean, economy, I mean, everybody wants to but, be able to exploit attention at a lower marginal but they,
1: cost. But look, you have, I mean, what you had in the case of email, right? Is you had a marketplace where a whole bunch of of companies while. went out and yeah. you know, right mail postini for those who remember these old days, you know, there was a whole kind of wave of, yeah, there was a whole wave of anti-spam companies who went out and you had like, instead of having one team at Twitter, try to solve it. You had mm. 50 really smart teams try to solve it and you had a market for it and people could choose among it and it worked. And that, that's how you do it in the web three way. So I, I feel like, you know, when people say that you can't do it this way, like they're just ignoring the, the history of this. Like we have, we have examples where this has been done. Now, I'm not saying it's trivial and, Look like as tech has become more and more important, you know, these networks have become more and more important. They start shaping global politics, everything else, the stakes are higher. Yep. You know, so we've got to take this thing seriously. But the idea that you the only way to do it is with a group of you know product managers at a company, it just just seems to me ignoring history.
2: In twenty twenty three, just ten vulnerabilities accounted for over half of the incidents responded to by our sponsors today. Arctic Wolf Incident Response. Wouldn't you love to know how to take these vulnerabilities off the table and make life more difficult for cybercriminals? That's just one of the essential insights you'll find inside the Arctic Wolf Labs 2024 Threats Report, authored by their elite team of security researchers, data scientists, and security development engineers, and backed by the data gained from trillions of weekly observations within thousands of unique environments. This report offers expert analysis into attack types, root causes, top vulnerabilities, TTPs, and more. Discover the attack vectors behind nearly half of all successful cybercrimes, why ransom demands climbed 20% from 2023, and find out why 2024 will be an especially volatile year for cybersecurity. Learn more and get your copy now at arcticwolf.com forward slash techmeme. That's arcticwolf.com forward slash techmeme. How do you make a password that's strong enough so no one will guess it and it's impossible for you to forget and do it for a hundred different sites and make it so everyone in your company can do the same without ever needing to reset them? Sounds impossible unless you have 1Password. More than any other product I've ever told you about, I can vouch 1000% for 1Password. I can't live without it. 1Password makes strong security easy for your people and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. Any device, time, one password. onepassword.com slash ride for your growing business that's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash ride don't let security slow your business down go to onepassword.com
0: slash ride okay so we're, we're at time for you and i want to make sure that if you yeah. would like to leave you can if you want to stick around i would love to have you i do have okay, one more question for you to, yeah, sir, that's it. okay last question is I guess if you could go back in time, you know, to Uh the early, I don't know how far back you want to go, but I'm thinking 2006 to 2008 was sort of a moment in time. You know, we had Facebook in the room when we were talking about decentralizing the social web. Um, You know, there was a lot of energy there. If you could go back and wave a wand, what would you change and do differently?
1: Yeah, I think that um – I mean, like There were two. I, I mentioned one challenge, which is I think there were architectural limits to what the open side could do. I think there were also incentive limits. Like, there's been no. You mentioned how protocols, you know, academia and government funded the early internet protocols, which is amazing. And I, you know, I mean, it's it's an awesome thing that that happened. But there's been, I mean, name a protocol that's been developed in the last thirty years in a serious way. I mean, when that Heartbleed bug happened, OpenSSL, you know, which is a which is a not a protocol, but it's a library that's that runs like most of the encryption on the internet. They had this major bug. It turned out there was a half a developer working on it. Why? Because there's no way to fund these things, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, I think, look, I think there were, I, I don't know, specifically, like, I, as I mentioned, like, I would, I think, keep having a way to feature parity with Twitter by having a way to sh- store state, things like that. But I also think on the incentive side, how, you know, like, you look at the times when, look at the, the employee count of Facebook from 2008 to 2015, it went from whatever it was, relatively small to, you know, I don't know, 50,000 people, right? How, how would RSS have have funded
0: what percentage of you know, those people were working on advertising though?
1: Yeah, no, that's right. But like even if they had, let's say, two thousand really good developers or a yeah. thousand or whatever it might be, it's still a lot more. You know, it's hard. So you gotta marshal the forces on the other side. And like the best ways we know how to do that is one kind of the Linux way, right? Which is you know, by the way, Linux, you know, I mean people sometimes ignore this. Linux is actually corporate funded for the most part. Yeah. Um it's you know the biggest yep. the biggest funder of Linux is Intel and why does well, Intel do it? The
0: biggest funder of Mozilla is Google.
1: Yeah, and they do, and they do it because it's for like a bunch of kind of business strategic reasons, yep. right? I mean, so like for Intel, it's good to have a strong open source operating system that counterbalances Windows. So there's one way, which is really corporate funded open source, and I believe that we've discovered through kind of Web three and tokens another way to do and to do um, kind of development of open systems. And I think ENS is a really interesting example, Ethereum namespace, yep. where they have a token and they use it as a treasury in the DAO, and it funds the development of the ecosystem. And I think that's a really interesting new way to do kind of public goods funding. So that's, so going back to 2008, I mean, look, I, I don't know, maybe it was it's a great question. I think there was the kind of technical architectural feature parity question I mentioned. Um, and I think the other thing is the incentive thing. I don't know. Maybe, like, maybe it was just a fait accompli. We were kind of screwed back then and the the white walkers were coming and we didn't do anything about it. But now like, <laughs> maybe, maybe we can, and I'm not ready to give up. I think we should keep trying. I don't know. I I think we should, you know, this, this, it seems like a. I don't, don't think it's,
0: it's a question of whether we should keep yeah. trying or not. I think the yeah. question is, do we invest in the right things, and are yeah. we actually sort of solving for the right set of problems given what we've learned? And yeah, like
1: like like I, like, like, like I'm a fan, by the way, of like things like Mastodon for some reason. I was going yeah, to say, yeah, Mastodon is a, is a great example. Great, but, but look, but yeah, but it's how many users? It's not. It hasn't broken out. Why? I think it's because they have no global namespace. I'm not C and I have to give some weird name. I'm like C on some social server. It's this very 1990s architecture. It's not I mean, a modern I mean, we solved
0: this problem, actually, in 2009. I mean, the email address, granted, it's PII now, but that was the, the best. It was a username at a domain, yeah. and actually that is what Mastodon does. It's a global yeah, I mean, interface. Well, I, you know, so I think the,
1: the key... When I used it, I, I have an account. I'm C.Dixon at some social server, whatever it is, right. at some, some URL, some person. That's at least my…
0: I won't account. mention names, but I mean there have been a yeah. lot of attempts well, to solve I mean, the identity you problem. The question
1: of like why is Mastodon at whatever single-digit million users it's at and why is oh, Facebook… Do you at can say the billion. same thing about and, True
0: Social or Getter?
1: Yeah, but I think I there's think one question is on the product side. How do you get a feature yeah. parity? How do you make it a product that feels like a Facebook product? I mean I, that would be step one for me, and I think there's a lot of sort of technical um architectural things missing, including a clean way to do shared state um, mm-hmm. but uh yeah
0: I do think that like the shared state piece the the blockchain piece those are definitely enablers that will lead to new types of of interaction one thing that i'm I'm wondering about is like Again, interoperability. When it comes to the companies that you're investing in, how important is interoperability? Because you mentioned ENS, but there's mm-hmm. also uh, a number of – the uh, Lens Protocol just launched yeah. the other day. Right? So there are several different identity yeah. providers that are coming out that are ostensibly using you know, Ethereum or whatever namespace they're using to create the new kind of like, you know, this is my login, this is my identity yeah. on the web. But now there's going to be dozens of them, and they're not going to be interoperable, and so we're going to well, end up having this I, pl- plurality yeah. of solutions once again.
1: Well, but I, yeah, I mean, like I haven't, so I haven't looked dug into the details of Lens, but the if you build, some, for example, if you build something with using smart contracts in Ethereum, it's, it's interoperable by default, right? I mean, every smart contract in Ethereum is open source and callable by any person, yeah, yeah. And there's no sort of owner; it's just yeah. it's literally a community resource, right? Yeah. And that, and that's certainly the way that we we view the world and we want every, you know, we, we'd certainly encourage that. Um, so I haven't dug into this lens, the social kind of stuff that we have invested in, um, (coughs) all of them embrace interoperability and look, it's not in web three, the mentality is not like I'm doing it. Web two, the mentality is I'll do interoperability begrudgingly because people demand it, but ultimately I don't want to do it. And that's why, by the way, remember the whole kind of mashup movement, 2008 ish and all the commons and and all all of that stuff. stuff. It basically all went away. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these people put restrictions on their API because it wasn't in their business interest. And Web3 is opposite, which is you want more people to use. You want this, we call it composability. You want people to build mm-hmm. on top of you. And you don't need to, like, have these things where you build these, these gated communities because you want more and more people. Like, look at Ethereum. They, they love it when people build Layer 2 and side chains and other kinds of things on top of it. It just makes the whole thing more popular. It makes more people – it increases – on the business model side, it increases demand for the token. Um, and so there's an incentive to interoperate as well in Web three, and that's very important. It kind of flips the incentives around.
2: Yeah. I'm
0: okay. That. Brian.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Last one, Chris. Um, yeah, sure. you, <laughs> Sorry. You, you alluded to this. Okay. Oh, oh, Chris Dixon. I should specify. Um, <laughs> sure, no, no, uh, You alluded to this a little bit earlier, um, talking about you know sort of the anger and the haterade going on yeah. against uh, Web three and crypto. Yeah. And you know we were there in web 2 yeah. that wasn't there in, in fact quite the opposite it, the, the broader world seemed to think the internet fad had ended and so people couldn't yeah. create without that headwind when you're especially you know we talked about gaming there seems to be this yeah. gamer backlash to it so when you're dealing when you're talking with developers and you're you're dealing with you know projects what do you how do you think of that and how do you yeah. tell the developers to think of this headwind where the potentially the users that you're trying to convert have yeah. this animus to what you're doing, yeah. you know, from from the go. Yeah.
1: Well, I think there's, I think there's a, there's a great question. I think a couple layers to it. I think one, the tech is just in the focus. So back in the 2000s, right, everything was dismissed as all the web two stuff was dismissed as kind of a, a sideshow, right? Um, you know, the New York Times would put the word tweet in quotes until like 2013, and it was like this thing where nerds went to have lunch, right? And we all remember it. And at some point that flipped, and people realized, you know, I think it had to do with politics and a bunch of other things. People realize how important these things are. And so just, I think all of tech now is under the microscope and it's just people now don't dismiss anything as a joke anymore because they know that it, that's not a very, you know, just, it's, it's not smart to underestimate how important these, these kind of internet technologies can be, right? So I just think the giant, the overall climate has shifted. I think you have this kind of level of scrutiny now in a lot of areas of tech, including web three. I look, I think it's also like a lot of people that are critics right now, they were web two darlings and it's not fun to not be the, you know, the cool person anymore. And so they, you know, I just think there's a set of incentives. We have incumbents now in a way that we didn't back then, you know, who have vested interests. Um, and I, you know, I think they're going to end up doing a whole bunch of things, including funding various stuff, et cetera. Um, and so that, that's a big kind of difference from then. Sorry. What was the second part of your question?
2: Just when you're uh, yeah. talking to people on these projects, what is yeah. your advice to them for facing oh, yeah, this yeah, headwind? Yeah, sorry, yeah. Yeah.
1: And you mentioned the games thing. Like, Look, my impression on the games thing, like I've talked to a lot of gaming techs, including a big game companies. They're all charging for it with their blockchain stuff. Their data, their focus groups say that like almost no normal people actually, you know, dislike Web3. It's coming from like a very vocal, like 2% of the community and a few like, you know, blogs and things. I don't think it's serious. I think it'll go away. The games, the games world also like hated, uh, you know, hated mobile gaming, hated, hated uh, free to play. Um, you know, and I think once we have a few hit games and they see how cool it can be and they see see the games are great, um, that will change very quickly. So I, I don't, I don't take that. You know, that kind of just, and I, and I read some of those criticisms, and they're just they're just literally talking about something else. Like it's just complete straw man argument. So. It's really hard for me to take that seriously. I think it's just you know, but look, I think it's we also live in a very politically charged time. I think in some people's minds, Web three crypto has taken on a kind of political valence of you know libertarianism or something, which I think might be somewhat true of kind of early Bitcoin users. I think it's very not true of modern Web three, which I think of as politically agnostic and could be you know in many ways actually a very kind of communitarian um, bent to the technology. So I think for some reason there's that kind of Tinge to the discussions. I think that will go away as people, again, as we build popular products and people see kind of the true nature of the tech and the fact that you know it can have all these kind of democratizing um, effects on the internet. So I, I think it's all just sort of a matter of kind of um, just stuff that will go away over time and. And you know, and I think most of the founders work will think that
2: too. Well, you know, uh, a very famous investor once wrote that the next big thing is often dismissed as a toy or yeah. or a joke or yeah. something. I can't remember what you yeah. said. So toy, uh, yeah. maybe you trained all of us to not be so dismissive of the new. You know? Um, yeah, okay. I, mean, I think yeah. Yeah, yeah listen, said. Chris. Thank you so much yeah, for, yeah, for your sure. time. Um, anyone listening to this on the podcast, the link to the report from A16Z is in the show notes. Um, good to talk to you again, Chris. All right. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate thanks, Chris. Questions. Good questions. Really okay. Sorry. So, uh, thank you, Chris Dixon. Thank you, Chris Messina, for a great interview with mm-hmm. Chris Dixon. Thank you, everybody. This will be on the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast feed tomorrow afternoon. Uh, I love everybody.